0: If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Acts chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, turn on your phone or some other device, but would encourage you to bring a Bible here to Redeemer Community Church. We've been going through this book of Acts for a long time, and um, as I said a couple weeks ago, every time I want to speed up to get to the end, I have to slow down because it just is so good at least i think dietrich bonhoeffer wrote in his classic book the cost of discipleship the cross is laid on every christian the first christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the the attachments of this world It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with His death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. Most of us, me included, here in soft suburbia, we want to live a nice, God-fearing, happy life and know that, yeah, at the end, death is coming. Thus it begins, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ jesus said if you want to follow me you got to die he goes on when christ calls a man he bids him come and die it may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him so bonhoeffer says it your death may be like that where you have to leave behind to follow Christ or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world but it is the same death every time death in Jesus Christ the death of the old man at his call The call to follow Jesus is a call to die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. In other words, to follow Jesus is not always a bed of roses. In chapter 21, we pick up this story of the Apostle Paul. He has finished his third missionary journey. And if you'll remember, go ahead and throw up our slide. If you're back there. There he is. There it is. Uh, This journey started out in Antioch and made its way to Ephesus for two to three years. And then made its way around here all the way to Corinth. Wanted to sail straight back to Jerusalem. Heard a plot on his life and so he turned and made his way back this way to Troas and came down to Ephesus. We looked at that two weeks ago actually just south of Ephesus at a little city called Miletus, where he spent that final time with those Ephesian elders. And he's on his way back to Jerusalem. He's got the money that he's collected from the churches. He wants to deliver that money in Jerusalem, and by all accounts, reading between the lines, he wants to proclaim Christ to his people if he can one last time. He wants to make it to Jerusalem by Pentecost because he knows at Pentecost thousands from all over the Mediterranean world Jews will be coming home, if you will. And what an audience. And what we're going to look at today is Paul's last little journey from Miletus back to Jerusalem. And you read it and you go, well, it's just a story of Paul's little trip. What are we supposed to glean? I think we'll see it. Let's read. Chapter one, 21, verse 1. When we had parted from there and had set sail, we ran a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And in fact, having found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we came in sight of Cyprus... Leaving it on the left, we kept sailing to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there was a ship, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. I should have had a better map for you, but um, they left, and this is Cyprus, so they, they, Cyprus on the left. And then they came, and the first place they landed was Tyre, just north of Jerusalem. After looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we left and started on our journey, while they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home again. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and that's just south of Tyre. And after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. On the next day, we left and came to Caesarea, even further south. And entering the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, The will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us, taking us to Nason of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing with whom we were to lodge. After we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. The call to follow Jesus is a call to die. When the Apostle Paul came to know Jesus as his Savior, back in Acts chapter 9, if you remember the story, he was headed north to Damascus to find Christians, to arrest them, to persecute them. He wanted to put an end to Christianity if he could. But he was met by Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and one of the things that was said to Ananias about Paul Go, Ananias, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. We can't read the story of the Apostle Paul, see his conversion, and think, oh, yippee, things are going to be awesome for Paul now. From the very get-go of Paul's conversion... I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And all along the way, as we follow Paul throughout the book of Acts, and we weave together his letters we find in the New Testament, his was a life of following Christ on a road of suffering. Death threats in the early ministry there in Damascus and in Jerusalem, on the first missionary journey stoned nearly to death in lystra on to philippi where he was arrested and beaten and imprisoned chased from thessalonica down to berea from berea down to athens on the third missionary journey while in ephesus nearly killed he would reflect upon this in second corinthians and say this in everything Commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger. See that? In everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. Affliction, hardship, distress, beatings, imprisonments, tumults, labors, sleeplessness, hunger. And as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, he has this growing expectation now as he heads to Jerusalem that suffering awaits him. When he got to Corinth on this journey and wrote the book of Romans, you'll remember I showed you a couple of weeks ago, he asked the Romans to pray for him that when he got to Jerusalem, he would be delivered from evil men. A little bit later, when he got to Troas and spent that time where he preached all night. Well, I'm sorry, when he got to Miletus with those Ephesian elders, he said in chapter 21, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions... Await me. And now as he's on this final stretch back to Jerusalem, in verse 4, when he gets to Tyre, after looking at the disciples, we stayed there seven days and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. The implication probably is that there are some prophets there in Tyre who also know what is coming and they're telling Paul, they're predicting What's going to happen to him there? And upon hearing those predictions, the dear saints of God are saying, Paul, don't go. And then in verse 11, when they had made it down to Caesarea, and they're staying with Philip, the evangelist, and in verse 10, Agabus came down from Judea. If you'll remember back in chapter 11, this was Agabus the prophet who foretold the famine that was coming. And here he comes and he finds Paul and he took Paul's belt, probably a long sash. And Agabus bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Again, predicting what was to come. And upon hearing this, Luke, as well as all the local residents, the believers that were there and hearing this, they begged him, don't go to Jerusalem. Suffering awaits you there. Paul was falling in the footsteps of Jesus. The Gospel of Mark presents Jesus as the quintessential disciple who always, if you will, goes God's way. It's a little phrase in the Gospel of Mark about Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. And we know what happens in Jerusalem. He he suffers and dies. But the Gospel is also set up to show Jesus as the quintessential disciple who always goes God's way. And then it's got these other characters in the book. There's There's one group that never goes God's way. That's who? The scribes, the Pharisees. There's the one person who always goes God's way. That's Jesus. And then there's this group in the middle. Sometimes they don't and sometimes they do. Who's that? It's the disciples. It's you and me. Jesus always goes God's way. And the way... In the Gospel of Mark, is a life of service to God and others that may well get you killed. See, Mark was written to suffering Christians. They were following Jesus. And rather than be a bed of roses, it was sometimes very, very difficult. They were marginalized. They were mocked. They were forgotten. They were fired. They were defriended. And Mark wrote to them to say, when you follow on the way, you follow Christ. And Christ was a life in Mark where he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. It's a life of service to God and men that may well get you killed. Jesus himself was betrayed. Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? He was taken captive. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. He was deserted. Then all the disciples left him and fled. He was falsely accused by those in the crowd. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found no one, though many false witnesses came forward. He was spat upon and beat up. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? He was falsely accused by those in authority. But when he was accused by the chief priest and elders, he gave no answer. He was rejected. Pilate again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who's called the Christ? They said, let him be crucified. He was scourged. Then they released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, they delivered him to be crucified. He was mocked. And Kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. He was derided. Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. And he died. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. That's the one we follow. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, it is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they've called the head of the house beelzeable, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Brothers and sisters, if you and I if you and I go easy on following Jesus and living a life to help others follow Him, if if we go easy on that, in other words, if we... this kind of stuff, we're probably not going to experience at all. But if we swim against the stream, if we take the narrow path, if we... Look to joyfully follow Jesus and help others do the same. It may not always go well for us. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall be persecuted. And so to take a stand for Christ in the classroom or to take a stand for Christ in the workplace or at the dinner table or at the holidays can be tough. And therefore, the call to follow Jesus demands resolve all along the way. For me, that's pretty obvious coming out of a text like this. We see Paul being told and understanding what is to come and all the while staying at it. The commentators are across the board. They note this resolve of the Apostle Paul. We saw it a couple of weeks ago in chapter 21. I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish the course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God the resolve and we see it again here in chapter 21 in verse 12 when we heard this as well as the local residents began begging him not to go to Jerusalem then Paul answered and said what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart i'm ready not only to be bound but even to die at jerusalem for the name of the lord jesus Other times than the Apostle Paul, when things would heat up in a city, he would move on to the next. In this particular case, he's resolved to go. Why, we're not exactly sure. In this instance, did he charge on instead of maybe wait it out? But there was seemingly a sense to him that it was to Jerusalem that he was to go. A couple of characters in the Old Testament come to my mind when I think about the word resolve. And when I think about what we see Paul here doing. You remember the story of Esther? Maybe some of you do, probably most of you don't the Jewish people had been taken into captivity out in Babylon. And soon enough, the, the Persians came into power and, and allowed the Jews to go back home to Jerusalem, but many of them didn't. Many of them stayed out in Babylon and in Persia. And eventually, a plot was put into motion to annihilate all of the Jewish people living throughout the empire. Not just over in Persia, but throughout the whole entire Mediterranean world, wherever Jews could be found to kill them. And the the book of Esther is the story of how God raised up a young girl to be the one who would turn the tables on God's people's enemies and allow them to live i can't tell you the whole story but esther is exalted this young jewish girl is exalted to be the queen in persia and she is urged to go into the king and plead on behalf of her people and yet she's afraid she knows that if you go into the presence of the king even as the queen Having not been invited, you can get killed. And Mordecai, her uncle, urges her. And then she says this. Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, her uncle. Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way, and thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. Remember what she said? And if I perish, I perish. Mm. How about Ruth? you remember Ruth? Isn't it awesome these two examples are resolve from these two young women? Ruth was a Moabite. She was not a Jewish girl. And yet, Naomi, this Jewish woman, had, had, along with her family, had gone into Moab, and Naomi's husband had died, and, and uh, her two sons had married. One of them had married Ruth, and one of them had married Orpah, and then her two sons died. And so Naomi loses her husband and loses her two boys, and now all she has, if you will, are these two Moabite daughters-in-law And She decides to go home and she says to Orpah and to Ruth, you all go on back, stay in Moab, find a husband and life will be good for you. If you follow me, it won't be good for you. I'm not going to have any more boys for you to marry. And even if I did, you're not going to wait until he grows up to marry him. And upon hearing this, Orpah turns and walks away. Some think her name means neck. She turned and gave the back of her neck and walked away. Ruth, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me. And worse, if anything but death parts you and me resolve of course the greatest example of this in luke chapter 9 in the midst of his predictions of his coming sufferings luke tells us that jesus was determined to go to jerusalem and it probably is the case luke wrote the gospel of luke and he wrote the the book of acts he is picturing Jesus and his resolve to go to Jerusalem and Paul and his resolve to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus said, when he got to Jerusalem, he withdrew for them about a stone's throw. He knelt down and began to pray saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And there we see those friends of Jesus or of Paul saying the will of the Lord be done. So, I'm still all just getting to my point. My point, not even there yet. Christian life can be difficult. Therefore, it's going to demand resolve. And that resolve is strengthened by the sweet fellowship of the saints. So where do you get that, Mitch? As I was reading this and preparing for this, I'm thinking, Lord, where's the sermon in this? I see that following Jesus is, can be difficult. We're all called to suffer. Paul was told he's going to suffer. We've been told it may not go well with us when we follow Jesus. Paul was resolved. We, we need to have resolved to follow Jesus no matter what it costs us but I think there's more, Lord. Is there not more? And then John Stott, this sentence. What fortified Paul in his journey was the Christian fellowship which he and his travel companions experienced in every port. I had just read right over it again and again and again and again. But Stott makes the point. And they got to Tyre. Verse 3, When we came in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we kept sailing to Syria and landed at Tyre, for the ship was to unload its cargo. And looking up the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. Who were these disciples that, that had been, where a church had been planted up in Tyre? We don't have the story of this in the book of Acts. This was the gospel going up and all throughout Israel and a church is planted up there. Did Paul know these guys and these gals when he got there? Probably not. But when they landed in Tyre, they went looking, "Hey, where's the church?" And they found the church, and they stayed with them for 7 days. It was such a sweet time. Verse 5, when our days were there ended, we left and started on our journey while they all, with wives and children, escorted us what until we were out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. Isn't that awesome? They come to Tyre. Paul knows what's coming. He's headed to Jerusalem, and it's very clear to him what's going to happen. They search out the church. They spend seven days together. And when it's time to go, wives and children, and they kneel down and they pray. Verse 7, when they had finished a voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus. And after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. So they come to this next city, and they find the Christians. And they fellowship with them that day. Shared a meal, no doubt. on to Caesarea. The next day we left and came to Caesarea, And entering the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven. We stayed with him. If you remember way back from chapter 8, Philip was the one who took the gospel to the Samaritans. He was the one with a pioneering mission spirit. He was the first to kind of cross the barrier from just Jews to the hated Samaritans, people who aren't like us. But he was the pioneer. They're made in the image of God. They need to hear of Jesus. He was that one. And then he led the, um, the Ethiopian eunuch to faith in Christ. And then if you remember, God did the, the, the whammy on him. And he ended up up near Caesarea. And now for 20 years he's been up there, probably planted the church in Caesarea and has been leading it for 20 years. And Paul shows up in Caesarea and Philip takes him in. And he's got his sweet daughters there who know the Lord And in verse 12, we, as well as the local residents, so there's Philip, there's his daughters, and there's others. Verse 15, after these days, we got ready and started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us, taking us to Nason of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing with whom we were to lodge. Probably that phrase, longstanding, means a disciple from the very beginning. He's one of the early Christians there in Jerusalem. And they they go and they find him, and Paul lodges with him. And after we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. Stott thinks what fortified Paul in his journey was the Christian fellowship which he and his travel companions experienced in every port. And he closes it. These warm receptions strengthened him to bear the crowd's shouts just a few days later away with him. You've heard of the one another's, right? There are dozens of verses in the New Testament encouraging us to one another encourage one another, pray for one another, comfort one another. And maybe when I said that, some of you, your eyes may have glossed over, oh, I've heard this sermon before. Maybe you polish your fingernails, you know. <sighs> one another's been there, done that. As I was thinking about that, that image popped into my head, and I had to look it up. What exactly does that, that mean? <sighs> You know what it means? So easy, all it did was mess up my fingers just a little bit. The one another's, I got them licked. No problem. Friends, what sustained Paul along this way of knowing what was coming, maybe what fueled his resolve, was the fellowship with the saints and the one anothering. I'm... I've grabbed a few that I think maybe he experienced along the way. Be hospitable to one another, the Bible tells us. All along the way, these Christians were being hospitable to him, opening up their home, feeding him food, giving him a place to sleep. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Don't you know he got some kisses? I'm not saying we need to do that, maybe more culturally. Greet one another with a holy smile and a holy hug and a holy handshake. Let me just, brothers and sisters, do you do this on Sunday mornings? Or is it like your goal? Some, sometimes I think it's your goal. Let's get there at 10, 29, and 59 seconds so that we can open the door, go find our seat. And then as soon as it's over, let us get out of here as quickly as we can. Please don't make that your goal. Make it your goal to get here early so you have time to greet one another with a holy kiss or a holy hug so you can smile, so you can shake a hand, so you can visit and catch up. And then obviously it goes beyond Sunday mornings. We'll get there if I have time, which I don't. Serve one another in love. That's another one. Serve one another in love. Friends, do you do this? Don't you know Paul was served? Hey, Paul, good to see you all. Hey, Luke, y'all come on in. Let me grab your bags. I got them. I got them. Y'all need something to drink? Y'all sit down. Let me get you something to drink. It's been a long traveled, huh? We're going to take care of you. We've been We've been cooking all day. We knew we heard you were coming. Love one another deeply, we're told in the scriptures, from the heart. Don't you know that as Paul and Luke and the others showed up and these Christians came out and greeted them and welcomed them into their home and fed them, they began to visit with them and hear what's going on and just listening to them and just loving them? Encourage one another. The Bible tells us. Maybe they're telling stories. Paul and Luke and the others are talking about what happened in Ephesus and Thessalonica and Philippi and Corinth. And these brothers and sisters are going, hey, way to go. Way to go. Spur one another on to love and good deeds, we're told. Hey, Paul going to jerusalem man and every indication is it's not going to go well don't go i know everybody's telling me that but i believe god's calling me it's gonna be hard though paul i know following jesus isn't easy i i can tell you that from the last 20 years of my ministry Don't go, Paul. I got to go. You're going to go? I'm going to go. All right, brother. Be strong. Be strong. We're going to be praying. Don't give in. Don't give up. Go all the way, man. we told to pray for one another. We're told to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Don't you know that these these days were spent not only in visiting with each other and sharing a meal and sharing stories about the faithfulness of God and what was going on and here, there, and everywhere, but I bet as the sun went down, somebody said, Anybody want to lead us in song? And they would sing. They would sing to their God but the text is speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Listen, when you sing on Sunday mornings, the reason I like to sit up front is not because I'm the preacher. It's because I love to sing, but I'm not too good at it. Y'all don't have to hear me. But even if I were sitting in the back, and I can tell you stories of sitting in the back and people turning around and look at me, right? I'm singing for Christ. I'm singing for you. We ought to sing for each other as well as we sing to Him to encourage us, to spur us on, to stay at it, Even when following Christ can be hard. So, we need to close. One point. Community strengthens resolve. Community strengthens resolve. And friends, if you and I are going to follow Jesus faithfully, students, if you're going to stay at it throughout high school and on into college and for the rest of your life, you and I are going to need... Here's a verse, the author of Hebrews. For you are in need of endurance. And a lot of that resolve, that endurance, comes from Christian community. Spending time with brothers and sisters in the Lord to encourage one another and pray for each other and bear one another's burdens and serve one another and this, that, and the other one another. Community strengthens resolve. And so friends, brothers, sisters, if you are not connected in Christian community, and I I don't simply mean that you just show up at a worship gathering, but beyond the rows, you're getting in circles in a discipleship group like one of our community groups or, or women's study or a men's study or, or another opportunity where you, you go from the rows where you just stare at me and listen to me talk for 40 minutes. And you sit in a circle and you look at each other and you hear what's going on in each other's lives and you pray for each other and you encourage each other. Got to. Last thing and I'm done. I planted a church in Jonesboro, Arkansas with a good buddy named Chuck Gishwin. back in 2002. We were there for six years and felt like God was leading us to something different and that's, we ended up here. And uh, over the years, Chuck's role changed up there in Jonesboro. He became the lead pastor for a while and then switched this, that, and the other. These days, he spends a lot of his time coaching pastors just on their spiritual life and implementing that into the lives of their churches. And a lot of what he's doing these days is he's using Richard Lovelace's Dynamics of Spiritual Life. And he, he posted a, a quote on Facebook and on Twitter this week. And when I saw it, I texted him. And I said, what page? Because it, it's my, it goes with my sermon this week. And he got me the page. Both the preparation for mission in prayer, both the preparation for mission in prayer and the in of believers when mission has been launched are enveloped in a context of unity and community. Since the disciples and their converts were not isolated spiritual units, but members of a supernatural organism, the body of Christ, you and I are not isolated spiritual units. We're members of a supernatural organism, the body of Christ. We have already noted the persistent reappearance of small intentional communities in the history of church renewal and the thematic commitment to the larger ecumenical community characteristic of revival leaders. Here it is. Here it is. In order to experience normal spirituality, Christians must go with Jesus into mission. So listen, if if all over these years you've heard me calling us to live on mission with Jesus and you just want to throw up the next time I say live on mission with Jesus, Loveless agrees with me, All right, He says it's the normal. In order to experience normal spirituality, Christians must go with Jesus into mission. Must depend on Him to direct and empower in this, and must give and take sustenance in community with the members of His body. So, normal Christian life, according to Loveless, be on mission with Jesus, and do it in community so you can give and take sustenance, because you and I are going to need it. Paul was on mission with Jesus. Jesus. Suffering was coming. He could have quit. He could have turned back. He could have thrown in the towel. He didn't. He stayed resolved and at least Stott thinks it was because every one of these stops along the way. He's got brothers and sisters praying for Him, encouraging Him, spurring Him on, serving Him, greeting Him, singing with Him, praying with Him, loving Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, oh, that we might not be isolated spiritual units just coming together and then scattering all over the place, but that we would be family, an organism of the body of Christ that loves one another and encourages one another and spurs one another on to love and good deeds that strengthens the resolve in each of our hearts to joyfully follow Jesus and help others do the same. We need you to work this out in us. We'll pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.